0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah
1: study. This is the parsha we read before Rosh Hashanah every year. And so you can imagine most of the commentary written through the ages on this parasha, uh have to do with how we... Um, how this pasha is related to the whole idea of Juvah and of return. So we'll see how that gets linked up. We will begin at 29.9. You stand this day, all of you,
0: before the Lord your God, your tribal heads, your elders, and your officials, all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, even the stranger within your camp, from wood chopper to water drawer to enter into the covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is concluding with you this day with its sanctions, to the end that he may establish you this day as his people and be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone, but both with those who are standing here with us this day before the Lord our God and with those who are not with us. Us here this day. Well, you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we passed through the midst of various other nations. And you have seen the detestable things in the fetishes of wood and stone, silver and gold that they keep. Perchance there is among you some man or woman or some clan or tribe whose heart is even now turning away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Perchance there is among you a stock sprouting poison weed and wormwood. When such a one hears the words of these sanctions, he may fancy himself immune, thinking, I shall be safe, though I follow my own willful heart, to the utter ruin of moist and dry alike. The Lord will never forgive him. Rather will the Lord's anger and passion rage against that man till every sanction recorded in this book comes down upon him and the Lord blots out his name from under heaven.
1: All right. Actually, we should probably keep going, but we'll stop. Atem Nitzavim Hayom. This is one of my favorite Torah portions. Atem Hayom is already you plural, right? Ya. Nitzavim. So Nitzav is to be standing, but how is Nitzav different from Omed? Omed means standing. How is Nitzav different? Do we remember? job security (laughs) right Margo Um, so Nitzav is more like standing like you have when you have a pillar right a large thing that is you, you don't you erect it and then it is Nitzav right it is standing but it's different from Omed it's different from a passive sense of standing Nitzav communicates a certain kind of readiness we might say standing tall kind of that sense in English maybe Strict, um, upright
0: having made um, to stand is that the way that you erect something You stand up as opposed to you yourself
1: but Nitzvah has more of a active sense it is not passive, right? Okay. It's the sense of so you, you are... You stand for something. You stand for something is more the sense of you are standing, like, with a purpose. You are standing uh, in a way that is about commitment, right? About showing up d- differently. Thank you so much, um, Eleanor. Always working. I stand with Israel. Israel. I stand with. So it's more that sense, right, of standing for something, right? That's standing with a purpose. It's standing with a cause, not, and I don't mean it's a metaphor, like it's it really means standing. But but in that sense of, of showing up for something. So atemnit because the Bible does know from omed The Bible knows from the word to stand. It doesn't use that word here. Right? It could, but it doesn't. Atamnitzavim Hayom, so y'all are standing hayom. What does Hayom mean?
0: Today.
1: <laughs> yeah. This day. Good. this day. This day today
0: <laughs>
1: all y'all right so we get and there's never God forbid redundancy in Torah so if it says y'all and then all y'all right it's on purpose so it is making it very clear Torah is being very explicit here that it is every single person who stands right now today this day for what we're gonna see. But, so, but well, English, where are they standing, huh? English
0: translation is different. The uh, the men's book says wives. The women's book says women. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, yes. We'll we'll get there. Mm-hmm. So, um, wh- where are you where are they standing?
0: <laughs> standing before
1: God. Adonai Before Adonai, your God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. your heads. Mm-hmm. Shiftechem, your officials. Ziknechem, your elders. Vishotrechem, and other kinds of officials. Kol Ish Israel, every man of Israel. Every person of Israel. Ish really means person, but it's male, so um, every person of Israel. Now it goes on, verse 10. Tapchem, your little ones. Nishechem, your women. The Asher Bekarev Machanecha and the stranger that is in the midst of your camp. Mechotev etzecha from the chopper of your trees Ad Memecha to the carrier to the carriers of your water. So this is a famous what do you call that in literature? Um when you go from one so to the other. Merism? Hmm? Mm, okay. So when you say from woodchopper to water bearer, you're talking about mm-hmm. everything in between. So or, from heaven to earth, Right, from A to Z. Exactly right. Um, and woodchopper and water jar are menial tasks, right? They are menial laborers. Uh, and so these are, these are your sanitary engineers. <laughs> uh, these are your janitors and your garbage collectors in the right that's the parallel in the ancient near east to be very clear nobody is left out not because of status that we're used to seeing in the ancient near east as being about age or gender nor is there going to be any differentiation by class by what one does in the world every single person is standing, Hayom, today, before Adonai your God. Why? Verse 11. This is the ritual language. This is the language used around covenant, right? To pass over, to cross over into the breach, into the covenant of Adonai your God.
0: What is the difference between Elohechem and Eloheichah? Both are translated the same way in the English here.
1: Because it's your God, plural or singular.
0: So this is singular. This is singular. The second time.
1: Yes, this is singular because it is saying, it is addressed to each person. Right? That you are standing before. um, In the first one it says Elohechem, Adonai your God. Here it's going to be... To, to cross into the covenant of Adonai Elohecha, Adonai your God, Uva Aloto, Asher Adonai Hayom, into this covenant that God is concluding with you today. What, why does it add this? Okay, Imcha Hayom, um, that God is cut, is that the covenant that God is cutting with you this day. All right, why do we pass over into? How do we pass over into a covenant? Why is that word used here? And why cutting a covenant? Yeah. How do you do this? How do you do a covenant yeah. in the ancient Near East? What do you do? You Rub your shoes. Rub your thighs. No. <laughs> there's, there's the brist. The bris. No, the brist. The brist is a covenant. How do you how do you cut a covenant in the ancient Near East? Uh, that's swearing. To What's the event. ritual? You, oh, my it, it, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You take an animal and you cut it in half. Do you cut the animal in half and the parties who are going to be bound by this covenant pass through the pieces. The bloody pieces. Yes? The blood of the covenant. Starts here. <clears throat> they walk through the pieces of the animal. Why?
0: <laughs> <laughs> because they can. Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs>
1: These safe answers to go to. Because they can. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Yeah, I turned it off to cough. I'm not sure I turned it back on until just now. Um, all right, so what do we say? Why are they walking um, the blood? So there's definitely power to the blood, for sure. Life force. Life force. If one of us should break the terms of this agreement, so should this happen to us. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, people. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's why you said over my dead body correct over my dead body <laughs> because cut it, a deal. it, uh, it will know. never happen cut a <laughs> cutting a deal that's exactly what it is this is cutting a deal <laughs> absolutely but this is sort of like when you're a kid and you, you make a pact with your best friend and you oh, steal yes right and you do like you become blood brothers or blood sisters or whatever we used to do um, but right if it was serious you drew blood Right. This is common. We know this is common. THC, terrestrial human culture. Every human culture understands when it gets real, it involves blood. It has to. Right. In the ancient world, it has to. If you're serious about it, it better it had better involve, involve blood. Yes. And men didn't menstruate, so they had to do something else. <laughs> okay, so maybe they had some envy and they needed to do something about blood. Okay. So um so so this is what cutting a covenant is. You pass through the pieces. So the language the language stays. Right? You cut a covenant, you cut a deal, and you pass over into a covenant. Right? So that's why the language, the verbs are different here than what we would be used to seeing about agreeing or right. You know, it's it's from the actual ritual that would have been incredibly powerful, so right? Every, every covenant, every, is a minor one one. So this this was a common way of of cutting a covenant. So so it was understood viscerally the stakes of disobeying the covenant. What the ritual was for this covenant, we don't know. We don't know. Presumably they did not cut up animals and have all of these people pass through the pieces of the animal. That is not what it, what I mean to say or suggest here. What I'm saying is the language that we get for passing over into a covenant that I cut with you this day. It, all of that language comes from the language of ancient Near Eastern covenanting um, rituals. S- we don't have a description of this covenanting ceremony. We don't know what it looked like. We just get told that it's happening or going to happen, but we don't have the the description of it. Yes? I thought that the covenant with God was part of circumcision. I thought that that's why... It. That's a covenant. That is the sign at, on males of the covenant. It's, all blood, it's all blood. Right? So that... It is putting the covenant in the flesh. Yes. No. No. Is this done in the Mishkan? Where, where, where does the ceremony
0: take place?
1: Which ceremony?
0: Cutting and walking through.
1: We see it with Abraham, right? Abraham does it early.
0: But is it just in the town, in the village, and how we, Yeah,
1: I mean, presumably wherever you're, wherever you're making this deal. So there's no
0: particular ceremony.
1: Probably they did have a ceremony. We just, that's lost to us, what that looked like, other than walking through the pieces. What does this mean with it, sanctions? So there are sanctions on any covenant. If you do X, you can expect Y. If you do Z, you can expect W. <laughs>
0: um,
1: right? <Not> too <laughs> Started bad. too late in the alphabet. So... um it, it when you The covenant means I behave in a certain way towards you and then from you, I can expect certain things in return. La- Laura brought up correctly that most of the covenants that we see um, are between a vassal king and this predates Israel. This predates early Israel. So in Canaanite pagan practice, a conquering king cuts a covenant with the vassal king that he has conquered Mm -hmm. that is the standard agreement in the ancient near east is between a conquering king and a vassal king and the vassal king says I swear to show loyalty only to you and the conquering king says and if you do that if you stay true to our covenant I promise to protect you I promise not to schmeiss you I promise not to tax you into starvation right? but you owe me exclusive loyalty as the conquering king. Early Israel, we constructed that practice. We've been reconstructionists for a very, very long time. We took that practice and reconstructed it. Who is the king, the conquering king for early Israel? God. God. Okay, good. God is the king. We cut a covenant with that king. To that king we owe exclusive loyalty. The sanctions are: if you don't, if you start worshiping Baal and Asherah and right all these other gods and goddesses, which we were prone to do, right, because we were in our hearts pagans. um, If you do that, what's going to happen? Give me some examples. What are the sanctions? Oh, You're going to to get kicked out of the land, for sure. You won't be able to see anything at high noon. You'll be blinded. You'll be blind. You'll be... You'll eat your children. You'll eat your children. You'll be starving. Your crops will... So it was very clear what was going to happen if Israel did not live into the terms of the covenant. But just to be clear, it's laid out for us over over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why do we need to say it over and over and over and over again this late into the Torah? This late into Jewish history. This is late in Jewish history. Why do we have to do, why do we have to say it again? Okay, the one thing this group does get (laughs) is that it's because the Jews continue to mess it up. (laughs) They never got it. So every single prophet, every single book, every single time we have to get again and again and again, what's going to happen if we don't keep the terms of the covenant? Because we never have. Um,
0: I, think, um, I was thinking that it's so important that I never really appreciated uh, the, this prayer in the uh, morning service. Uh, the, the, or the service I guess. If
1: you not do Wh- the prayer which prayer the shema I know
0: it's part of the uh, So the, the second paragraph of the shema, shema I think oh, the, referring to
1: so that when the, the rains won't fall right. and your crops will fail know, and, the and things, that's right that's this, right so we read it every morning as part of the shema cuz the jews are still struggling to get it right that if we don't live in line with godliness if we don't live in line with holiness what's going to happen we're going to poison the rivers and what's going to happen then right your food's going to be poisoned right and your children are going to be malnourished and they're going to right so if we don't get it that if we don't start living it i mean this is a reconstructionist view of it of course but if we don't start living in line with what godliness demands of us we are going to wreck the whole thing and this
0: comes shortly after the list of all the horrible sanctions which we didn't get to last week but it's the end of the prior the last Correct. part of the prior Torah portion has all these horrendous, the curses and
1: terrible and we see a little bit of that here too right? Alright Yes, Lynn So sure.
0: I'm, I'm confused because I'm, I'm seeing myself wow and amaze my friends when we get together for dinner on Rosh Hashanah about this whole covenant thing. And they're going to ask me, so what? when do
1: we enter into this covenant? When did we do this? And so the the baby boys will have the Brits, so ostensibly they've entered into the covenant, right? That is the sign, sign of the covenant. That they've accepted. That, that the parents have accepted for the child. So who... Is walking through the two pieces of the dead animal. What at what point are they saying, "I agree to this"? And why doesn't everybody do this? Right. So, so one place we see it happen is Sinai. Mm-hmm. That's the covenant, mm-hmm. right? That God descends, God speaks. They can't handle it. They send Moshe. Not a seven Whatever it is, we don't want to hear anymore. We we can't handle it. Like you go, um, but we will. We will hear and we will do. We will do and we will then listen to what that means. So that was the sign on to the covenant. And then was there this ritual happened at that point? So there 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 probably is no ritual for the entire people. We don't know if this if this covenant is referencing Sinai, right, as a renewal of the covenant at Sinai, um, or if this is another ceremony as they're about to cross into the land, right, do, do they have another ceremony? There, there's no agreement on that. But the rabbis in the Midrashic tradition, what is Hayom for the rabbis? Atem mitzavim Hayom Kulchem, this day, means Rosh Hashanah. So for the rabbis, this happens at Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and, and of course, as the covenant at Sinai, Hayom is God is calling every day for us to... Step into the covenant, right? That the for Rambam, right? Maimonides, whose God can't have any change because he's a neo Aristotelian, right? Yeah. Now, if you're an Aristotelian, you can't have any change in God. So for Maimonides, how can God be speaking one minute and not speaking the next minute, right? How could God need anything, like need to talk and then talk and then stop, and then need to stop talking, right? There can't be a change in God, God forbid. So for Maimonides, he says, there isn't a change in God. Of course not. The change isn't in God. The change is in us, that God is always calling. This, the radio signal, yod Hey vav Hey is always going out. It's about how we, you know, Moshe at one point tunes his frequency, tunes his radio dial carefully enough that he hears it, as do the people of Israel that day. So it's a very Jewish old tradition that God is calling Hayom. Today, every day, for the rabbis, this particular Hayom is Rosh Hashanah. So that we re-up, we re in a sense, for the covenant every Rosh Hashanah. Is that
0: the significance, the singular, important point of Rosh Hashanah, that we sign up for the covenant?
1: I mean, I think now, now the new year, definitely.
0: definitely That's what we've always of as the new year.
1: I is think so we sign up? <laughs> it's, now it's definitely a, a component, for sure, of, of the meaning of Rosh Hashanah, is that we, each of us, agree to come stand at the foot of the mountain. Again, and sign on again. All I right, but I want to get. But there's more to your point, so h- hang on to that point because there's more to it um, at the at the end of this paragraph. say weren't there? Or, but earlier,
0: even before Sinai, God was making a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and sure. Jacob. I'll give you the land, sure. etc., and you'll be my people. So it's both individual and collective. Sure.
1: Um, all right, so. Where were we? Twelve. Twelve. What's the point of all this? hayom. That God may establish you hayom today. For God. Le'am. As a people. And God shall be for you in order that God shall be for you, Elohim. Ka'asher diberlach. As it has been said to you. And as it was sworn to your ancestors, to Abraham, Yitzchak, and, and Yaakov. So here we go to your point, Lynn. And lo, y'all alone. Am I cutting this covenant? And with these here. Also with those that aren't here. Imanu Omeid hayom. With us, standing today. Lifnei Adonai Before Adonai our God. enenu po hayom. And those who are not here this day. What does that mean? How can, how can you have a covenant with people who aren't showing up? How do you have a covenant with people who aren't there? Future generation. Aha. <laughs> so for the rabbis, for Chazal, it is... all future generations all people who would ever be part of this covenant whether it's by birth, whether it's by adoption whether it's by conversion, doesn't matter whoever was ever going to be part of this covenant Omed Hayom is is represented here in terms of being bound Mm -hmm. by the covenant which is crazy if you think about it that you're binding people who do not sign on to the agreement, you're binding them to the agreement with its sanctions. That's a little crazy. Well, but we do that
0: within law. I mean, we are all—we all feel bound by laws and treaties that were done before we existed. So there's and when a definitely... law is made today. There's an assumption that somebody who's not born today will obey that law. So it, it
1: is logically crazy, but we we do do it. We do do it and we feel however some of it is i think in those cases it's all about i mean it's not entirely different Mm -hmm. obviously but the nuance for Mm -hmm. me the difference is this is an elective covenant Mm -hmm. right so if i'm born a u.s citizen i have to obey Mm -hmm. the law i don't have a choice because right the law governs Mm -hmm. every one of its citizens that that kind of makes sense to me because we Mm -hmm. have to have something that governs everybody whether they agree to it or not Mm -hmm. or there's chaos Mm -hmm. right and there's what do you call it? Anarchy. Um, this is an elective covenant. So it's like, wait a minute, wait. You have to sign on.
0: Jews by choice.
1: So it's like we are, you know, we are all in that sense Jews, Jews by, by choice. choice because we said naasev nishma. We said okay, we will do it, and then we'll hear what exactly that entails, right? And then once we heard, we were like, oh, no shrimp, uh-huh. no yeah. cheeseburger, really. <laughs> and that's why we have Hebrew
0: schools. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right, and and when little children, little Yiddish, little Yidden, ask, "Why do I have to go, mommy? How come I can't go to soccer or whatever What the, all the other kids are doing?" What do we answer them, Sarah? Because, because. you're Jewish. Because you're Jewish. Because of Sinai, <laughs> because, because, <laughs> because of Sinai and Kacha. Right? <laughs> you know the Israelis would say Kachaza, right? We, we. That's how it is. You're a Yid. You go to Hebrews, right? Because you are party to a covenant whose terms you need to, at least we need to try to give you some taste of what that means because you are bound by this craziness we call the Jewish people. And and, and to Bert's point, mm-hmm. like other things, you get, for most people, you get born this way. You don't get an option. You don't get a choice and there I've had a very long argument this was years ago I had it with a young adult who was got very interested it was interesting it got very heated between both of us this young person saying you don't get to claim me i have my identity you don't get to tell me what my identity is and i said yes i do because you're a jew You don't ever have to do anything about it. You can turn your back on it. You can go convert to whatever you want to. It does not change the fact for the Jewish people that you are a member of the Jewish people and therefore one of ours. And they said, but you don't get to claim me. You don't get to tell me that I belong to you. And I said, yes, I do. You don't have to like it, but you belong to me. You belong to us. You don't have to like that. You don't ever have to do anything with it. You still belong to us, right? It was this huge argument, and um, and I thought, I thought well, this is crazy. Why am I why why am I so triggered by this? And and I realized this because it's that whole thing of you know I can opt out, and it's like. No, you can't. Right? You, of course you can. Of course you can dump the whole thing and go become a Zen Buddhist. What, whatever. I'm not saying what you have to do. I'm telling you it won't change the fact that the Jewish people understand you as a member of the Jewish people. And I find that deeply comforting. There's nothing I can do that the Jewish people will say, you are no longer a part of us. Right? They found it offensive and hubris on mm-hmm. on. I'll, I'll speak for us on our part, right, to suggest something like that. It was so fascinating how something that's so deeply um, comforting and powerful and meaningful for one person is like completely and totally like the opposite for for someone else. But this this is one of those fundamental ones. Like, where, where does that come from? Where does what come from? The,
0: that we claim this person—that is by genealogy, birth, right? Yeah. Okay. So how is that jive
1: with and you can choose and you can convert? Oh no, no, you you can't ever convert out to a, a way that the Jews will say you're not you're not. That a person could convert to
0: Judaism. Oh yeah. And so we count everybody. We with yes. If you're born Jewish, you're art. And you you want to pick us? You can. You can pick to be in if you're not born a Jew. Yes. But but if you're born a
1: Jew, you can't. That's correct. And according to Rabbinic Halacha, once you convert in, you can't convert out. You're stuck. You're stuck. (laughs) Once you convert in, you become a part of the Jewish people, the same way everybody else was. You were at Sinai. You are just as bound as are your future generations. Period. Done. Now to be, to be very clear there is a ceremony if someone converts out of Judaism there is a public reaffirmation of coming back to Judaism that people um, that the rabbis decided needed to happen if someone apostatized um, so I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like there's nothing you can do and we're just happy that you're back it's like there was an actual formal kind of re-entry that they had people do yeah okay. but there's um, there's so many people that are asking what's your what's your ethnicity and um, Jewish and they're like well but what is your ethnicity and I'm Jewish it's my ethnicity. so I identify with it as my ethnicity even though my families are from different places and I think mean, it speaks to what I think you're talking about I mean, it's not a religion to me I mean now I'm warning this for the first time it's a religion but it's my heritage Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what some people don't get. They don't get Right. It. They don't understand that at all. The so why best. Why is that? That it's for the Jews, it's a heritage. And for the Christians and I don't know what it's like mm-hmm. those, those other people, but Ooh. is that something that's. So, because because Christianity and Islam are not a people. So, they don't get it. Christianity and Islam is a belief system that you buy into, and once you buy into it, you become a Muslim, you become a Christian, you get born a Jew, do you see? So for them, it makes no sense, Judaism is a religion, of course it is, right? First of all, their religions are in some ways related, Um, but they don't have an understanding of getting born into this deal. Right. The deal is offered in Christianity from the beginning. Right. Jesus dies for all of humanity's sins. So the deal is on the table. But you have to accept Christ as your savior to become a like you have to do something to opt in. And then you, would always, you, you, you are. <laughs> not our parents wow. right our, our our ancestors how long ago opted it, and and there's a midrash that says you know God goes to every other single people and and they all reject the Torah once they hear what it entails comes to the Jews last and yeah. the Jews accept the Torah oh so great To say on the same page of the Talmud there's another Midrash that says God picks up Sinai and holds it over the people and says will you accept my Torah <laughs> the same page right? on the same so, so we do have like a, some sense of okay. Yeah, our parents opted in with a mountain right over their heads, right? Do you opt in? Uh, okay, right. So, um, so we 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 were opted in. We we were we are a people with a common language, a con- right? So, so many things that make us related to each other ethnically. Um, uh, other religions don't have that, so they they can't get their heads around it. The closest I was a- ever able to get people was when I was in northern Minnesota, and I said um, the the you know the uh, Indian population there. They don't like to be called Native American; they like to be called mm-hmm. Indian. Uh, I had to unlearn yeah. Native American. Um, so the Indian population there is Anishinaabe. Right, and so, um, and Ojibwe, right, and I said to somebody, you would never go to someone who's Ojibwe and say, well, how Ojibwe are you? Yeah. <laughs> right, do you go to sweats? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you smoked the pipe? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what, when was the last time you were at a sweat? You don't, oh, so you're not really very Ojibwe. Mm-hmm. You're just culturally Ojibwe. Mm-hmm. Like, who, what kind of a distinction would that, it makes no sense if you translate it into other folks who are a people who have a religious expression a spiritual expression of that people you'd never say to them well if you don't participate in the spiritual aspects obviously you're just a cultural indian like what what does it mean of course i'm a cultural indian like duh that's what it means to be part of a people that's a definition of what it means to be jewish is i like eat disgusting gefilte fish <laughs> that no other people would touch if they had a choice It we grow up on that right and that taste, that association, is as Jewish as anything else. And I'm speaking, of course, for I know uh, my, you know, from my perspective as an Eastern European Jew, I get that. Like other people have different tastes, but the the point is that it's always about Shabbat, you know, or Rosh Hashanah, or breakfast that we have tastes associated with that. That's what that's what makes us ethnically Jewish. But for us, you can't separate that right from from who we. Are. That's what it means to be part of a people.
0: I Maybe mean, there was a, a real perverse application of this. Uh, prior to World War II, there was a minor German philosopher named Wilhelm Marr who said, "You cannot solve the problem of being Jewish by converting out of Judaism. You are a Jew." And Hitler was supposedly followed Mars' philosophy.
1: Right. So, so that's the other component. Why don't people get it? Is because of anti-Semitism and the claim that Jews are a race so there you know, there's part of that too that it's not an ethnicity it's a race right so that's problematic can someone punch that button please I, I'm roasting yes. it's 75 degrees in here I know everyone's gonna get cold you, you don't have to go crazy and put it way low but but some air has to move in this room or you're gonna have an unconscious teacher Sarah uh, Mm -hmm. there was a Jewish
0: boy in Paris who was raised
1: by the church to save him Mm -hmm. and this guy became a leader of the Catholic church yeah, I saw the movie was there a movie? yeah, Yeah, he became he he rose really high in the church but when he died he regarded himself as Jewish I remember he as well as he, he wanted kaddish. There was something like yes. he wanted kaddish yes. at his funeral. Um, but he, yeah. So it was, it's an interesting story and what that means to like to be really right torn. What
0: was the name of the
1: movie? Right? Sure. Okay. okay. Thanks. Okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> great. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's 52. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I get your point about the sensitivity to saying to... The Jews are not a race. But the cultural issues that you were bringing up uh, sound to me like a very <clears throat> identification with a tribe, a, a really tribal historical situation which didn't apply to Christians, for example. But And I was thinking before you mentioned it, but it does apply to American Indians. I mean, for yes. sure. And their Identification is that fair to say that that really where this all came from was identification with tribes? Absolutely, absolutely, it's fair. It was it was a group of tribes right in that region who eventually band together to become the nation state of early Israel as we've talked about and. But there were tribal identifications, absolutely. And then a federation of tribes that made us Israel. But it was definitely allegiance to tribe. Not race. It is very different. That that Uh, is correct. There are many other examples, uh, contemporaneous, by the way, other than American Indians, of tribal cultures. Absolutely. Alive in the world. Absolutely. And you can be adopted into the tribe. You're given a tribal name, right? You have a, a ritual where you become part of that. Tribe, right? And once you're part of that tribe, it's done, uh, right? And I mean, it's the same for us, Reuben. Uh,
0: how do the rabbis justify excommunicating
1: a Jew? Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh so that if you behave in a certain way, you lose the privilege of participating in the community. So you're still a Jew. Don't worry. You're always a Jew. You're still a Jew. You just don't get to talk to other Jews. Right. You don't get to have any communication with the rest of the, the Jewish people. Is that your
0: perception or is that the...
1: That's the actual perception. That's exactly what it is. That you're you're,
0: you're, you're, you're... you're excommunicated from the community, but you're a Jew alone.
1: Correct. You remain a Jew. You can't undo Jew. But you lose the privilege Of being part of The community And uh, the ultra-Orthodox do this To each other all the time One rabbi puts the followers of another rabbi in Cherem, and then that rabbi answers by putting Their people in Cherem, I mean, and they put up these notices In these neighborhoods that So-and-so's now in Cherem And, I mean, it's like um, Excommunication So, like, it's But it, I mean, it's the only if If you're a people whose whole goal is Peoplehood and community, what's the worst thing you can do to somebody? Kick them out of the community, right? So um, it, it's, it's re, it remains for human beings the most powerful of punishments because once upon a time it meant death, right? Once upon a time if you were kicked out of the tribe you were toast because you were on the plains by yourself, defenseless, right? You, you were no match for a woolly mammoth or a you know, saber-toothed tiger. So... Um, once upon that, so it still triggers existential panic in us, right? This is what be, when we get when we feel truly alone and we're terrified about being left alone and lonely. This is this is old old stuff that is programmed into our DNA that l- alone means death. And I think like it taps you know, excommunication taps into that existential anxiety in a really horrible and and effective way. It keeps people in line. And why is this, why are we not? First of all, I was reading recently about this—that race is a concept that some people made up, it's a legal um, and it's a—it's a fiction. That there really is no such thing as race. Mm-hmm. A great
0: book called White by Law uh, by Ian Hay, a law professor. Twenty-five years ago, and he goes through—you want to read about how different races have been defined by American law over the ages. Mm-hmm. I think Ancestry.com and the DNA test is going to change tremendously our vision about race because it turns out nobody's pure anything. We are all a mixture of a lot of things. I want to say one other thing about uh, what you were saying about Jewish and there's this whole debate about what is it to be Jewish and one thing about KI about this congregation that we are all a part of is that we are very varied and we are very diverse in terms of what belief is what practice is we come together as a Jewish people here but without a lot of the sectarian things that exist unfortunately in a lot of other places and I think KI is a perfect example of this idea of what it is to be Jewish that we, Jews have always been diverse we get this idea particularly the Eastern European Jews that what well, well what real Judaism was was a shtetl where everything was the same and everything was small. But in fact, we've always been going back to erev rav coming out of Egypt. We've always been very diverse. There's always been a collection of people with different opinions and, and, and different backgrounds. Go to Israel. I was shocked the first time I was to Israel because to me, growing up as a European Jew in New York, Jew meant. You know, from Poland the Germany and whatever, you go to Israel and it's the United Colors of Benetton. So we've always been this, and I think that's one of the strengths of chaos as an institution that we're moving into the future, in a sense, inventing inventing a new kind of Judaism that is really an old kind of Judaism.
1: And that is the Jewish people. Amen. My I discovered that her You know, the whole family. Mm-hmm. But uh, someone, somewhere, you
0: know, like his grandmother. Uh, so far, I think. Most of us, I once did a family. Most of us only know our families going back maybe two generations, maybe three generations. And yet how many generations are there back to Second Temple, First Temple, Moses? Mm-hmm. Hundreds and hundreds of generations. And we have no idea. It's real. There are four fathers and four mothers. There are ancestors. We have no idea who they are. Past 150 years, which is My dad like just did nothing. we Eastern Europeans,
1: and he found five percent African, Northern African, yeah. and like three percent Asian mm-hmm. uh, from, I guess, Afghanistan. Or I don't.
0: Know. There's a wonderful book called The Book of Abraham by Marek Halter. That is a story. It starts with the destruction of the Second Temple, and there's a, a scribe and he's got a scroll, and it's a historical novel that goes through generation after generation of how the scroll moved around and the families evolved and became something completely different.
1: You have a handout from Tikkun magazine. This is by Mark Kirschbaum. At the beginning of our parsha, we get this iteration of who's standing, who's Nitzav that day, and uh, it's 10 categories of, of people. I just counted again to make sure. Yisrael, um, right, <laughs> there's ten, 10 iterations in this first opening couple of psukim, uh, 10 different classes of people, who are called to stand this day? So uh, this article is exploring a little bit about um, well, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in this article, but um, you know both the individual and the collective sense of what this means. Um, so if you look at the the paragraph that begins, Rashi presents three different readings of this passage. Um, he's always going to start with the pshat, you know, the kind of the The straightforward reading of the text and then two Midrashic readings, the second of which explains the word Nitzavim, standing as derived from the word Matzeva. Matzeva is a monument and explains that at this moment, Moshe made of the people a monument in order to make them more ready to listen or to make them more obedient. So uh, the Shem Mishmuel takes off from this Nitzav Matzeva connection to build his approach. He explains that a Mizbeach, the sacred altar of the temple, was made up of many stones, whereas the Matzeva, the earlier form of monument or altar, forbidden after the temple was constructed, was made up of one stone. Thus, for the covenant to be established, the people, despite their individual differences, must come together like the single stone altar as one people. In other words, the purpose of the textual play between multiple societal roles and singular language, meaning you know, you singular, your God, um, is to emphasize the need for all to come together as a united whole. So this lovely idea, this idea, Nitzav, standing, remember I said it's like erecting a pillar because it's, it's related to this word matseva. But what they're arguing is the, the altar, the matseva that you had in the temple had to be made up of lots of different stones. Now the matzeva that had been used to represent the God is off limits, the single stone, right? That Israel as its sacred focal point had to have a matzeva that was made up of lots of different individual stones because that's what this is. It is a collective of individuals with different opinions and different voices and different experiences and um, and all of those come together. And so that's how we have the 10, right, coming together as as one. So that's That's lovely. Um, All right, we're going to go down, and we're going to turn the page. This is obviously for you to take home and read the whole thing. You can bring it to services and read it Rosh Hashanah. So there's kind of this individual versus the community, and then he's talking about the or vashemesh who kind of deals with both the individual and the community. But go to the paragraph on the other hand. on the other hand, leaning towards the centrality of the individual, he suggests that the word nitzavim derives from the word nitzav, which is used uniquely in Judges 3:20 to refer to the heft of the sword, the handle which supports the cutting blade. This etymology is meant to suggest a reading whereby Moshe is telling the people that no matter what position in society their life has placed them, they are each individually capable of serving as the vehicle for the revelation of God's message to the world. So think about that for a second. In the ancient world, where right women, children, they're nothing. They're nothing in many ways. Right? It's saying every single person, if the every single person is able to serve as the support for the cutting blade. Right. In this case, the cutting blade is the word of God, is the right the, the revelation of how we're supposed to live lives of holiness and goodness and compassion and justice. Right, The ways that we can do that, that's the cutting blade, figuring that out. And every single one of these ten, meaning A to Z, has the capability of being the hilt to support that cutting blade being a part of reality. I think that is fabulous. Love that. Um, All right, so coming down. So then then he, um, the end of this big, chunky paragraph, to quote Kenneth Gergen, so the last sentence of the paragraph that begins on the other hand. To quote Kenneth Gergen, who argues that one of the effects of contemporary technology, especially information technology, upon the individual is a situation of fractionated being, By dramatically expanding the range of information to which we are exposed, the range of persons with whom we have significant interchange, and the range of opinion available within multiple media sites, we become privy to and engaged within multiple realities. Or more simply, the comfort of parochial univocality is disturbed. To the extent that these standpoints are intelligible, they also enter the compendium of resources available for the individual's own deliberations. So all these opinions, if we can figure them out, if we can figure out what people are saying when we read some of this stuff, which it's not easy to do anymore, we don't have the attention span to do much of it anymore, but when we finally understand what all of these things we're reading are saying, that puts right a bunch of voices in our head that are arguing with each other for us to even think about what we think about something. So this sense of polyvocality, univocality is disturbed, right? So it's not, Amy said, Rabbi, what does Rabbi Amy think about? Well, Rabbi Amy has to sit still and get quiet and let all of the voices in there hash it out until I can say, okay, here's what I think about that. In other words, there's not a univocality anymore. We are exposed to so many Opinion, so much information. We're exposed to so many people and so many experiences that 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 even that our univocality has been disrupted. And it's not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but it's like, but there's this polyvocality. So it's not only that all of these individuals stand together, this this category of ten stand together as one people. Take all of the voices within all of the heads of all of those people. All of that has to come together, right, to be Nitzav, together to live into covenant. Do you think that, when, as you were talking about it, do you think that that's what's caused more and more of a move towards fundamentalism? I do, yeah. actually, now that you say it. like yeah. uh, Notice I didn't sit still and shut up even for yeah. five seconds before I answered that. Um uh- because my guts telling my kishka say yes. I yeah. Absol- I think yes because someone. isn't that so much simpler? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that so much more comforting than I have to sit with the the polyvocality, right? Or as Chef Gold calls the parliament of personality, yeah. right? I have to sit with the parliament inside my head, like in, inside myself and like figure out whose voice is that? What voice is that, right? Am I listening to that but if you're a fundamentalist, Ooh, the parliament gets quiet because the parliament can all just turn to page three, second paragraph and well here's what we think about that here's how we respond to anyone who brings any kind of a challenge about that, here it is right here and I think that's desperately comforting for people and I think polyvocality is terrifying it's confusing where do you land what, what, what is my voice and that's it's somewhere in here that that very much a big part of the tradition has said, these 10 are not outside of you. You are every one of these 10. You're someone's child. You're someone's spouse. You're 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 a boss somewhere. You're a water carrier somewhere else. You're, you're these are all aspects of our own personality, and we have to bring all of those together, right, in order to be Nitzav, in order to stand here this day, um, to accept the covenant. And but it's even deeper than that. It's a, don't think these are people outside of you. The, we, we all have all of these components, right, within us that make make us very complicated. Discomfort family it the discomfort of ambiguity is is serious. Um, And particularly, I think, in this age, which is what he's talking about, fractionated being, that however bad it was before, that you've got a conflict between who you are as a daughter and who you are as a spouse, right? Vis-a-vis your your mother, that person's mother-in-law, right? Who do you pick, your spouse or your parent right now for dinner, where there's an argument? Like, that's bad enough. But then you add what we're exposed to and it's just, it's crazy how much trade right, is going on in here um, all the time. All right. Um, I think maybe we will... Let's just drop down to the very bottom of this page. An attractive reading of this verse addressing the polyvocal self is found in the Tiferet Shlomo where the verse is also linked to the high holidays, the Hayom, the today in our verse refers to a specific today, the big day of Rosh Hashanah. The covenant is then read as a covenant regarding teshuva, repentance. In order to properly stand before God in true contrition, one must analyze and recruit every aspect of one's personality, explains the Tiferet Shlomo. He quotes the Magid of Zlushov, who taught that dividing up all the organs of a sacrifice, remember we talked about the sacrifice and the priest like, right takes apart all the organs, teaches us to align all the most innermost parts of our personality upon any action. So then certainly on Rosh Hashanah, when we are re-examining our lives, we need to involve and contemplate all the different aspects of personality as part of what we call soul-searching. But it's not just the lofty soul aspects we involve here. The Tiferet Shlomo explains the phrase, Kulchem, all y'all, as referring to both the physical body and the spirit, and explains the two trades listed, the wood hewer and the water carrier, not as referring to two different individuals or as two economic classes or strata, but as symbolic of every person's journey, representing the starting point and goal within every individual trajectory, One starts out hacking away at the tree of life, as it were, referring to the spiritual Torah life. And ultimately, one reaches the water drawing point where they draw forth the holy, merciful efflux signified traditionally by water. And there's dead silence in the room
0: <laughs>
1: that means everybody's thinking a little bit but, um so this i know it's i know it's a lot so you can you can unpack it at home remember but i love this idea that we have to bring you know the polyvocal self every aspect of us not just the high lofty ones you know but the the lowly ones too we have to bring all of it together if we're going to do a reassessment of our lives and that from wood chopper to water water jar is about every single human life being starting out hacking away you know Know, at is there any place for me in any of this right if we're hacking at the tree of life this is the et time by the way this is the tree of life um, we start hacking away at it is there any place at all for me here is there am i going to make any kind of a difference in relation to the, is this is going to make any difference in relationship to me right that we start hacking away and then the individual trajectory the goal right is that we reach a place finally of the water drawer where we are drawing forth you know the waters of life um, that we are able to access and be open to that flow that is always, always accessible and always seeking to nourish us and fill us. And it's about us getting enough out of the way and getting the poly vocal parliament to shut up for five minutes um, so that we have an opportunity to, uh, to go to that place that we are able to access and open ourselves to this amazing possibility of repentance, this amazing possibility of starting over. That is what Rosh Hashanah is. We shuv, we return. Teshuvah, shuv. It's about returning. And that we understand as a people, this teaching is about we have a place that knows. That is connected, that is of the divine, that recognizes all of the beauty and truth around us and goodness and holiness, uh, and it is about returning to that place. And that is the practice of Rosh Hashanah, the ten days of repentance, and Yom Kippur. May we each be strengthened uh, to do to do that um, in all spiritual seriousness, so that we might start this new year fresh, different, forgiven, uh, and ready to make this world a better place. Shabbat shalom.